Hello and welcome to another episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin. And I'm Aaliyah. How's it going? And happy Memorial Day. Yep, we're recording this episode on May 30th. Uh, so it's Memorial Day for us. And a lot of stuff has happened in the past couple weeks since we last recorded. A lot of sad stuff, but in light of our topic for today's episode, we did want to share some pretty bittersweet news for the Rochester community. So some of you probably know in the true crime community about the case of Brittany Drexel and her disappearance back in 2009. I'm just going to give a brief summary of what happened. So Brittany Drexel was a 17-year-old Gates Chilai High School student who went missing on April 25, 2009 on a spring break trip in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And on May 11, 2022, so this was like a couple weeks ago, uh, remains were found in a wooded area in Georgetown County, South Carolina, and through dental records, authorities identified were able to positively, positively identified her remains as Brittany Drexel. Uh, they do have a suspect in custody, Raymond Moody, who was an, listed as an initial suspect in the investigation back, I believe, in 2012. Um, but he has been arrested and charged with the murder, kidnapping, and criminal sexual conduct. So, like I said, it's bittersweet in the sense that, A, it's a sad way to kind of put this case to an end, and it's still technically not over. There's still a trial that needs to be processed to determine the fate, I guess, of Raymond Moody and, you know, his charges and crimes. And, you know, we they still have to figure out what exactly happened to her. But it does give... Her family, it gives the community a sense of closure. That's what I was going to say, too. So at least they found that. Yeah, because it's been 13 years since she went missing. And during that time, a lot has been speculated about what happened to her. There's been a lot of, there's been a lot of theories, a lot of false witness testimonies of people claiming they saw Brittany being held captive. Some people even speculated that she was thrown into an alligator pit, which is terrible. To imagine and it's just nice now to have this bit of closure that we you know we found her we can put her to rest you know bring her killer to justice which is what I believe a lot of people want mm-hmm. so there's some silver lining in all this as sad as it is and as sad as everything else has been going on between the shooting in Buffalo at the Topps grocery store and then recently the Uvalde Texas elementary school massacre it's just a really terrible time, and, you know, with all that being said, we just wanted to talk about it because the Brittany Drexel case, it's really close to home for most of us, especially those who live in Rochester, because when the when her case broke out back in 2009, it was a big thing for, for a good while, and some of us sort of were kept updated of all the constant searches and new developments and again the possible theories and the possible eyewitness testimonies and it's like we never knew what really happened to her but now that we've have found her then maybe some new more news can come from this so we wanted to talk about that but we like i mentioned in our instagram stories on our um podcast instagram we just finished watching the first seven episodes of season four of Stranger Things, and mm-hmm. I felt like that was important to talk about. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we're, we're not going to mention spoilers because it's mm-hmm. still kind of relatively new. Like I said, we're recording this on the Monday. The fourth season just released last Friday, so it hasn't been too long. So not a, lot of whole, not a lot of people have watched the whole thing. You don't know that. Uh, that's well, the thing, though, no. honey. There's a lot of people who will binge watch an entire day of something and then bam. Yeah, but we we've talked to people like today we were hanging out with friends and I asked them if they've seen Stranger Things. Well, yeah, they and probably, well everyone's different, on. Huh? I mean, everyone sometimes well, I, they have time and sometimes they don't. I know, but all I'm saying is that I don't want to give away spoilers and the chance that people who haven't seen it yet haven't seen it. I mean, maybe later on we can talk about it a little bit more in depth in another episode. Maybe we can do a whole review about Stranger Things as a whole. That's what I was thinking originally about this. That would be nice. We could always do that later on in the future. But for now, I want to do a non-spoiler discussion about the first seven episodes 
what our first initial reactions were and what we think is maybe going to happen in the second half of the season. Because the second half is going to be released July 1st. So essentially that's about a month away from now, give or take a few days. Okay. So... July 1st, yes, that's when it comes out. Then the second part is season uh, four. So, I will say this. Season four is a little bit more darker and heavier than the last season. It's a lot more tense, you know, than the last one. I mean, I feel like the last one is a little bit lighthearted in a lot of ways. But this one, it kind of breaks away from that and just kind of really goes balls out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it really goes balls out. It literally shows its balls. That's what it is. Kinda. Yeah. I mean, I, what I like about, you know, with every season we get... Um, but it's we still get, Stranger Things, though. So. It is still Stranger Things. I mean, because like I said, we'll get the same cast of characters. So we get Finn Wolfar, we get Millie Bobby Brown, Noah Schnapp, and, you know, the original lineup of Stranger Things cast and characters. But we do get some new characters, too. So, like, for instance, we get Eduardo Franco, who plays Argyle, Grace Von Dien, who played Chrissy... Uh, Joseph Quinn plays Eddie Munson, who's a eccentric type of character that we see in the new lineup. And Jamie Campbell Bower is a new character, I believe, on the show. And I can't really tell you what his name is because I have a name Peter Ballard listed as his character on Stranger Things, but that's not quite his identity. And I'm not going to get into it, but just know that there's a lot of major plot twists throughout those seven episodes, and the seventh episode is a huge mind-blowing, because even when everything was starting to kind of roll, unravel in that seventh episode, I was still speculating who his character was and what his purpose was in Eleven's story, because his character essentially is tied to Eleven's story mm-hmm. and her past and everything, and we don't know exactly what his purpose is until that last 30 minutes of episode 7. So, it's very intense, very mind-blowing, and I'm really excited for everybody to see it. And then, of course, Robert Englund is the big guest appearance of the season. He plays a, a character named Victor Creel, who plays a pretty pivotal role in all the stuff that's going on in Hawkins, Indiana. Because mm-hmm. this this story does take place on almost essentially two opposite ends of the uh, country. Let me see. You got Dustin, Lucas, Max, Steve, Nancy, all in Hawkins, Indiana, trying to figure out the mysteries that are going on over there. And then you've got Eleven, Will, Mike even goes over to California to visit Jonathan, and you know all of them out in California. And then you've got Joyce dealing with her own stuff which i'm not going to get too much into because it what joyce goes through in season four is uh i don't want to say far-fetched journey Mm -hmm. but it's 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 something that starts off slow but then picks up towards the end yeah so i will give it that what thoughts do you have on this season well i'm not really going to give any thoughts because all my thoughts are basically spoiler alerts so yeah but what was Okay, let me say this. Give me your initial thought on the first episode. Uh, first episode. So first episode, we kind of see a bit of what everybody's been up to in the last year since the Byers family moved, the Hawkins mall fire incident. I feel like there's definitely distance. Yeah. And there's a lot of aftermath shock from the last season. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, kind of like... Sadness, heartache, heartbreak, uh, depression. Um, yeah, basically all the things that season season three had, and like all the sh- crazy shit that happened after that. They're all trying to get over it. We're trying to cope with it in different ways, but it's hard. Yeah, especially with people that you lose, especially in the yeah. last season. Exactly, and actually, one of the things I had written down here is that eleven. 11- in the end of season three, Eleven loses her telekinetic powers. Mm-hmm. And after the move to California, we can see she's still trying to cope with not only the move itself and trying to adjust to her new surroundings, she's trying to cope with life without her telekinetic powers and still essentially grieving the loss of Hopper, which 
it's no spoiler alert at this point that Hopper is actually still alive. Can we can we agree to that? Mm-hmm. Because if for those of you who have Netflix and haven't really seen it yet, but you have seen the like the poster and the um, screenshot pictures that they show uh, surrounding season four, you can clearly see a haggard, almost thinner version of Hopper somewhere in a snowy Arctic environment, which leads us to believe that yes, he is still alive. Yes, he was captured by the Russians after the explosion at the mall scene. And yeah, that's the, that's going to be ma- one major subplot in this season. I thought it was really good. I'm excited for the second half. And I did want to list some returning characters from season three. Because each season we get a new set of new characters that we were introduced. And some we even come to love and enjoy and appreciate with each season. So, returning characters from Season 3 are Robin Buckley, played by Maya Hawke, who is the, like, perfect image of what Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke look like, like, if they obviously had a kid together. Um, Erica Sinclair, who's Lucas's Sinclair's sister, is played by Priya Ferguson, who is, like, a little spitfire. I love her. She is so feisty, and she is so, like, sassy i love it and i love she plays a little bit more of a prominent role in this season than in last season and she really starts to become a little bit more part of the group like robin becomes dr martin brenner played by matthew modine is also in this episode or it's back in the season as well and as we all like have witnessed in previous seasons we always kind of pegged him as not so nice of a guy but things get a little difficult in season four. So he does make an appearance along with Dr. Owens, who is played by Paul Reiser. Yeah. So those are the recurring or returning characters from season three. And like I said, it's a lot darker and much more heavier. There's major plot twists. Uh, Eleven doesn't have her powers and Hopper is very much alive. And... The season takes place during spring of 1986, which I find is very interesting because they do hop back and forth in flashbacks from like, I think it's 1983, right? Uh, or, yes. Or something like that. Yeah, so they kind of so hop a little bit back and forth between flashbacks and what is essentially present day Hawkins, which is 1986. Um, there's a lot of subplots, and I think it's because, like, whenever the group breaks up and they have their own little, like, journey and investigation going on, it kind of breaks the plot up a little bit, and so that's why I think a lot of these episodes are getting a little bit longer, because of all these different subplots and stories that they need to follow Mm -hmm. and trying to make time for. Because I realized something, too, after a certain point in the story... We stop seeing Mike, Will, and Jonathan halfway through season or episode. I keep doing this. Episode seven. We kind of lose track of where they are, and we don't really see them again for the rest of the second half of that episode. But we know that they're heading somewhere now. But we don't see them, and I think it's because, like I said, there's a lot of subplots that are going on all at once, and they can only fit so much time into each episode. So, yeah. Is there anything else you want to mention? No, no, you pretty much explained everything. You sure? Yeah. You positive? No. You want to tell them how upset you were that I was watching episodes before you? No, everyone knows. Yeah, I I got a little bit eager. Now, here's the thing. I've never been a big fan of Stranger Things when it first came out with season one. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until Colin started watching it, and you know, you know how it can be sometimes when you share the same living space, and your only options are to either like kind of do your own thing in the corner of the living room, or like go in another room and just be by yourself. What what we tend to do is we like to share the living room space, and sometimes we agree. To, like, watch something that we both can compromise and watch together. But sometimes one of us will be like, oh, I want to watch Obi-Wan. And I want to watch Stranger Things. Or, oh, I want to watch True Crime. You know what? I'm glad you brought that up. I, no. Because that's a good segue 
into today's topic. I'm actually kind of happy I made that segue so we can stop talking about wow. these things. Wow. Wow. Score. Somebody doesn't want to talk to their wife. Okay. Oh, I'm talking to your wife. I'm talking, talking to your wow, wife. Wow, talking to your wife. I'm, I'm talking to your wife. I talk to her every day. Okay. So. so, for those of you who are probably more excited about the trivia than Colin is. Well, we, we def that was an ADD moment. I feel like we just had to segue into the other thing. Well, because... I, I was thinking to myself, you know, over the weekend, we had we had a couple ideas in mind for the next two recordings, and unfortunately, one of them requires a little bit more research than today's episode, so... You mean research, you mean watching. Well, I'm not going to get into it, but we're not prepared for our second recording. We'll definitely get that done sometime next weekend. However, I was able to prepare something for you guys today, and we did do a horror trivia or not horror trivia, we did a true crime trivia episode in the early stages of our podcast, and it's been a long time since we discussed anything true crime. And I feel like in recent months, with all the new true crime docuseries that have been released on Netflix, mm-hmm. well, it was a good time to test Colin and see... I basically if, call it crime flicks now because that's crime was, flicks. Like that's what basically Netflix is being taken over by a dozen of these crazy, disturbing ass true crime series. Not only that, but even in like horror industry relatedness, a lot of these Netflix docu series are produced by Blumhouse, which I think is interesting. Mm. And yeah, there's there's a lot more coming out in the coming months in terms of true crime documentaries. Some of the ones that they've released in recent weeks and months have been a little ew. And I wanted to, you know, because like I said, I watch a lot of stuff that Colin likes to watch. And even though I don't like it, I do observe it. I absorb it into my memory. She's and like I, a sponge. She yeah, I'm like a sponge for nerdy shit. It's not something I want or want to like, but it's something I eventually get around into, like... So in case she wants to insult me about it, she has the information about it, so she can kind of, like, diss I it. have I have enough information to be in the knowing. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Be into the knowing of, like, so all I'm, this so, weird shit. So if we ever meet any of these celebrities, like, at, at Comic-Cons or whatever, I'm just going to straight up be like, look, just let you know, she obs- she observed she doesn't like you. They're like no no no. no. Here's the I'm thing. I'm gonna totally thing. make you look bad for them. No, because here's the thing. <laughs> it's not the actors that I don't like. I know it's, a, it's, it's the, the people. Show. Right. It's not the show. Here's the thing. I understand that. Like, it's like we say. It's not that our opinions matter. We are just giving our general observation and opinions about things that we have observed. In turn, like in the view of audiences, not everybody is going to like the same thing, and not everybody is going to agree with everybody else's opinion, and that is fine. That is okay. I am not saying my opinion is better. I am just saying that I understand, as somebody who watches these things, that if we were to go to an event like Comic Con and I were to see like Millie Bobby Brown at a panel. You know, I'm not going to go up to the microphone and be like, oh, yeah, I hate your fucking show. It's so stupid. No, because it's not her fault. And I'm not saying it's not. She's a good actress. She's a really good actress. I'm going to give her credit where credit's due. She's a great actress who's done an amazing job playing Eleven for the past, what, six years? Um, yeah. And I like her performances, even in other things that are not Stranger Things. And... I'm saying when it comes to, like, writing in general, it all boils down to the screenplay writers, producers, directors, the people behind the scenes of these movies. They're not the best, but when I watch Stranger Things, I think I'm going to give it credit where credit's due, and it's a good show. I didn't like it at first, but I've come to appreciate it now. As far as things like Marvel and Star Wars, I think that has become way too much for me. And those are the people behind the scenes where I would just go up to the microphone on the panel and say, when will you people ever stop? Like, there's way too much going on. And it's like, too much. It's too much. Anyway, going into our true crime trivia, in our first part of this, 
I had Colin ask me questions from our true crime trivia book that I had bought a few years back off of Amazon. And this part, what I did was I took questions uh, relative to certain documentaries that Colin and I have watched together, and I have put down questions. Now, for the first, I would say six questions, I've done two questions of each serial killer, and then after that, I was just sort of thinking to myself, what else could I ask Colin that he may or may not know? And I understand that Colin is not the type of person who enjoys true crime the way that I do. He, I mean, I know about true crime and stuff because I grew up with it. I used to see it all the time on TV. Yeah. So, I mean, that, I see it, I acknowledge it, I observe it. It doesn't mean I'm a huge, huge fan, but it's just the stories of these serial killers, especially knowing growing up, are intriguing. I know. My point is, is that I tried to make these questions pretty easy as to the best of my ability because I understand like I said you're, you're not the kind of person who takes in true crime a lot and I didn't want to pick out questions that would stump you and get you frustrated but if you genuinely do not know the answers to these questions you can simply tell me you don't know and I will give you the answer oh, yeah. Is that probably okay? not, I'm probably not going to know any of these probably. All right. I picked two oh, well not two I picked ten I picked ten questions and then with each answer, I'm going to do a little follow-up and snippet of information about the question in general. So are you ready? Yeah, sure. Okay. Question one. How many times did Ted Bundy escape prison? Twice? Yes. What? Yep. How did I know that? I don't know. <laughs> well, I pulled this off of the uh, Ted Bundy confession tapes docuseries on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And... So, he escaped twice. Once in June 7th of 1977, Ted escaped from Pitkin County Courthouse in Aspen, Colorado by jumping out of a second-story window. I remember that. And then again in December of 1977, he made his second escape from Garfield County Jail, where he essentially, he sawed a hole in the ceiling of his cell, lost a bunch of weight to be able to fit through the hole, climbed through the rafters or the ceiling and made his escape out that way. Yeah. And it was some time after that he was caught and arrested again in Florida for his murders and crime spree over there. Question two. What kind of car did Ted Bundy drive? I don't know. It was a 1968 Volkswagen Beagle. Okay. Now... Interesting thing about this car, it didn't have a passenger seat, which is what a lot of people who were kind of, um, people who had survived Ted Bundy's kidnappings often said, you know, he was a bit of an odd guy and would often come up to people and ask, like, well, women, he would come up to women and ask them for help. And once they would get close enough to this car, once they saw that his passenger seat was missing, they kind of got a weird vibe. And some of them would either turn and run away or, you know, try to dip and, like, leave. And, yeah. Question three. How many people did John Wayne Gacy kill? Way too many. Do you know the exact number? Probably, like, 60. 60? No. Half that. Half that? Yeah. 30? Close. You want to do one more guess? Okay. Well, lower than 30? A little higher than 30. 35. 33. Of his victims were teenage, or either teenage boys or young men between the ages of 14 to 25. 26 of his victims, or I believe 29, I forgot the exact number, but 26 of his victims were buried under his house in certain parts of his property, and the remaining were dumped into the Des Plaines River. Question 4. There's a photograph of John Wayne Gacy with which first lady? Do you remember that one? It was in the documentary. I was laughing because when you said that, all I could think of is, look at this photograph. Nickelback? Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I digress. Um, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, so this was in the 70s, right? With this Ted was, yes, in the 70s. So it had to be, if it was early 70s or going into mid-70s, I know it was... Um, Richard Nixon's wife? What was her name? I don't fucking know her name. Fuck her. 
It was late 70s, and it was Rosalind Carter. Oh, okay. So. Roz. I'll just call her Rose, but okay. Roz. I don't care. Uh, so <laughs> in 1975, John Wayne Gacy was appointed director of Chicago's Polish Constitution Day Parade, an event he sur- supervised until 1978. And through his work, Gacy met and was photographed with First Lady Rosalind Carter. Okay, question five. Oh, wait, Jimmy Carter's wife. I would assume that I was the president. I thought it was Nixon, Richard Nixon's wife. What happened? Well, I would assume that... What are you if, doing to if, me? If, if Nixon was in office in the early 70s, that at some point in the late or mid to late 70s, he had, was... All right, impeached. just okay. go on. Question five. What type of shoes did Richard Ramirez wear during his crime spree between 1984 to 1985? I, th- I remember this. It's not Adidas, right? It's not Adidas, but it sounds like Adidas. Like a Reebok? No. Not Reebok. I don't no. even think Reebok was around then. It was. You give up? Sketch. I don't, no. I don't fucking give a shit. All right, go. Tell me the answer. Okay, it's the Avia sneaker. Okay. No one knows that. Um, I do. I do because... Okay, Grandma. Because in the Netflix docuseries Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Serial Killer, uh, lead detectives Frank Salerno and Gil Carrillo uh, contacted the manufacturer of Avia's shoes and were able to retrieve the soles. And upon the discovery of the make and distribution across the United States... Only six of them is existed in the size 11 and a half, with five of them shipped to locations in Arizona <coughs> and one shipped to a shoe store in Los Angeles. It was evident that the one pair of its size and its kind in the state of California then belonged to Ramirez. Okay. Now, this one is going to be tricky. Especially if you... if you I don't care. Okay. I'm not even going to get the answer. Just say it. Okay. <laughs> Who divulged crucial information about the Night Stalker during a televised press conference? I bitched about this incessantly when I saw this scene. I don't know. Then Mayor of San Francisco, <gasps> Diane Feinstein, divulged information including the gun caliber and a televised press conference. This leak infuriated the detectives in the case as they knew the killer would be following media coverage, which gave him an opportunity to destroy crucial forensic evidence. Ramirez, who had indeed been watching the press, dropped the size 11.5 of Via's sneakers over the side of the Golden Gate Bridge that night. Diane Feinstein should have had her job taken away from her that day. That is why police never divulge information to the public like that out of fear that the perpetrator would be following the news to see how much evidence the police knew about the case and if they had a chance of getting away with it or not, which is exactly what Ramirez did when he was following the news. He wanted to see not only how much coverage his crimes were getting, but he wanted to know how much the police knew and how if he was going to be able to get away with the next crime. And Diane Feinstein who is still a politician to this day, fucked it all up for them. They never recovered those fucking shoes. And that was the one piece of information that tied him to all of the crimes during that time frame. But I digress. Number seven. Who were the Ken and Barbie killers? Ken and Barbie killers? Yes. What were their names? Ken and Barbie? No. I will give you a hint. This is a Canadian true crime case. Well, as much as I love my Canadian culture, I really don't know who it is. Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo. How the fuck am I supposed to know those names? Especially those last names. Sounds so fucking complicated. Carla Leanne Homolka. I'm going to butcher her name, but I don't care because she's a monster of a person. Sounds like a fucking iced coffee. Was a... Mm. I shouldn't say was. She's still alive, but is a Canadian serial killer who acted as an accomplice to her husband, Paul Bernardo, in the rape and murder of at least three minors in Ontario between 1990 and 1992. I don't like her. 
or her husband. But she's a total, total garbage person. Number eight. Which holiday did the Isabella Garner Museum heist take place? Easter. Nope. You want to take a couple more guesses? Mm. You can pick any holiday. Christmas? Nope. Okay. Is there any guess to these holidays? Um, let's just say that in the city of Boston, it's a highly celebrated holiday. St. Patrick's? Yes, it is. There you go. Oh, my God. In the early morning hours of March 8th, 1990, 13 works of art were stolen from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. Guards admitted two men posing as police officers responding to a disturbance call, and the thieves tied the guards up and looted the museum over the next hour. There is a docu-series about that on Netflix called Gentlemen, This is a Robbery, and it is, like, the most interesting thing I had ever seen in my life. And it's not even, like, there's some murder tied to it, but not too much. And it's really not until, like, years later after the heist happens that all that takes place, but yeah. I thought it was a good one. Question nine. Sorry, there's a siren going by. Question nine. Who was the dating game killer? I don't know. Rodney Alcala. Okay. So, Rodney James Alcala was an American serial killer and sex offender who was sentenced to death in California for five murders committed in that state between 1977 and 1979 and received an additional sentence of 25 years to life after pleading guilty to two homicides committed in New York in 1971 and 1977. And he got that nickname because he did appear on the dating game show. He did. He won the game. But she didn't go on the date with him, which, to her better judgment, was probably a good idea. Question 10, and this is the last question. Charlize Theron played which female serial killer in the 2003 film Monster? I know who this character is, but I forgot her name. Because I know Christina Ritchie's in the film, too, and she plays, what, the daughter? She plays the girlfriend. Girlfriend. That's weird. Um... Okay. Yeah, she looked ragged. I mean, Charlize, they all did. Charlize Theron looked ragged in that movie. She but that like was she could choke someone. Yeah, but it was a pretty good resemblance to the original character. Like, What's the answer? Eileen Warnos. That's the name. Okay. So this this is the IMDb synopsis for the movie Monster. Shortly after moving to Florida, longtime prostitute Eileen Warnos, played by Charlize Theron. Meets young and reserved Selby Wall, Christina Ritchie, and a romance blossoms when John, played by Lee Turgeson, attempts to brutalize Eileen. She kills him and resolves to give up prostitution by supporting herself and her new girlfriend through legitimate means proves extremely difficult, and she soon falls back on old ways. More Johns die, and Selby can't help but think her new friend is responsible. Okay. All right. Let's tally it up. I only got one. No, you got two out of ten. Eh, well, it's still pretty bad. I know, but like I said, I I figured that because you don't really follow true crime, it's a lot to take in when you listen to a true crime case. Yeah, there's some I really don't want to watch because they are that incredibly disturbing. Like what? Which ones? Like some of the new ones you've told me about, especially the new new one. About the guy with the 75... You know what I'm talking about. The new one that's coming out or the, the one that we watched? The, no, no, no. The new, new one that's coming out. Oh, yeah. So, what Colin yeah. is talking about is... I hate that one. I was so pissed. There's a new docuseries coming out on Netflix that is called Ugh. Keep Sweet, Pray, and Obey. And it's a docuseries that examines the rise of Warren Jeffs in the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and his shocking criminal case. Now, I'm a little worried about watching that one because I just recently watched the other docuseries that came out this past month called Our Father, which was very disturbing and very disgusting and did not do wonders for my mental health. So I'm a little nervous about watching this one. So, yeah. 
I don't know if I can handle watching a docu-series about a cult where some uh, sick self-proclaimed prophet um, takes on like over 50 child brides and has, you know, multiple children with them. It's just disgusting. It makes me sick. So I don't know. I, I, it would, intri- it would be intriguing to watch, but I, I don't know if my mental health can take it. But what did you think about today's episode, though? Yeah, it's interesting. It's not as bad as I thought it would be, but I know I sucked at it, but it's fine. I know, and I just wanted to do something interesting. Because, like I said, I take in a lot of true crime, and sometimes I'll put on the same true crime show I've watched over and over again just to kind of familiarize myself with all that information. And I'm currently reading... The last book on the left, which is the last podcast of the left's mm-hmm. book about serial killers. And I'm already on the chapter of Richard Ramirez. So I'm, you know, interested to read this book and all that. So it's a pretty interesting read. But yeah, like I said, and it's not just, you know, when when you listen to true crime stuff like podcasts or docu-series or documentaries or... It's a lot of information that you take in. And as somebody who watches true crime stuff or listens to true crime stuff or reads about true crime, it is, some, it is to some point a learning... It's like a learning aid mm-hmm. to some extent. Because one day... And I remember when we were watching the John Wayne Gacy, for example, the John Wayne Gacy confession tapes. Um, they were talking about the trial. And you had asked me, you know, how does one get the death penalty in a trial like this, especially in a murder trial? And I had to pause the docuseries and then I had to explain based on what... I wish I never asked you. I know, but based on what I had learned from listening to a bunch of true crime podcasts and docuseries and all this stuff, I literally sat there and I explained to you when a investigation is taking place, and this is this usually is associated with murder cases, but if a murder case is ongoing and they have a suspect in custody but they haven't found the bodies, in this case they hadn't found all of the bodies because the uh, this plane's police officers were originally looking for Robert Peast. And they hadn't found him. They didn't know where he was. But they had already found like 26 or 29 bodies underneath his house. They were wondering, you know, where is he? And he wasn't telling them. He wasn't being truthful. He wasn't being honest. And they're like, okay, well, we already have a warrant out. And we're already charging you for the murders of all these boys who we just found in your on your property. And you've already confessed to most of them and how you killed them. So... Where are you going to go ahead with this trial and charge you for the murders of all these boys? Now, if you can't tell us where Robert Peast is, you know, they will they will put the death penalty on the on the table when this case goes to trial. Mm-hmm. And if he cooperates, they'll take it off the table. And he never did. So, once everything went into trial and the death penalty was already on the table, they did eventually find Robert Peace, but no help from John Wayne Gacy. His body just turned up in the river, and the police got him, and they were able to confirm that he had died in the same fashion as the other boys that mm-hmm. they had found underneath his home. Yeah. And he got the death penalty because he refused to cooperate for most of the trial. That is how it usually happens. It's not usually like that for most, pa- like most cases, but my sister did the same thing. Um, she was watching uh, a movie called Death on the Nile, and she even said to me, she's like, there was a scene that occurred that really threw me off. And it was a scene, and she didn't give me all the details, but she said there's a scene where the killer goes and hugs a family member as they're being cap- like apprehended. And as they hug and embrace, he takes a twenty two caliber... I believe it was that type of gun that she had said. It was like a twenty-two caliber gun. Points the gun into the chest or back of the person they're hugging. Shoots them. And then the bullet essentially goes through that person and into the killer. Killing them both. So he can avoid. So that person would avoid going to jail. But my sister was confused because she's like. That wouldn't necessarily happen with a twenty-two caliber. And she goes into detail explaining how this would not have happened. And I'm like. 
you got that from true crime, didn't you? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> I just thought it was interesting. But, like, you learn stuff from this. Like, a lot of people learn about, like, how bodies decompose in different stages of environments. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a fascinating type of science in and of itself. So, in a lot of ways, a lot of people can learn from true crime in a good way. But, unfortunately, sometimes these serial killers learn from other serial killers to try to adopt their own sense of style in murdering people. Or to try to do what others have done differently to avoid getting caught. Which sometimes they never usually do, surprisingly. But that's just me. What are your thoughts on true crime and as a whole? It's fucked. Yeah. I don't. Like, I don't know. It's just... It's fucked. I know people like it and interested in of it, it, of it, but I'm just... I don't know. I'm not all into it. I know. You know, I mean, maybe someday, but I'm really not. I mean, if something intrigues me about it, that's fine, but... I don't know. I like more the the occult stuff. The occult stuff? Yeah. Or cult? Well, the occult and, you know, cult stuff related. Like, more like that kind of thing. What type of occult stuff intrigues you? Like, stuff that's, like, more, I don't know, that deals with... When people say that it's, like, these people are, like, a cult that is, like, think of their own Jesus, but it's not really. It's more like a okay, different so that's, being. Okay, so that's just cult. Yeah, it's just a cult. cult. No, it's not a cult. It's yeah. cult. Yes, but there's also a cult, which is more like mythical stuff and everything. A little more, you know, you know what I mean, right? I know what you mean. So, a cult means supernatural, mystical, or That's magical beliefs, I, practices, yes. or phenomena. Yes, though that but, and also the cult. Yeah, but... I like those kind of stuff. Yeah, but very, very, very rarely do, do the occult have any ties with true crime. I know, the but only... I'm not talking about with true crime. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about its own thing. Okay. So that's what I'm talking about. Okay. Yes. Because cause sometimes when we, when we think about true crime cases, yes, we do include cult cases, like Jonestown and the Manson family and Heaven's Gate. Like, we do include those into true crime because in those fashions people did die and sometimes in brutal mysterious and malicious ways often under the influence of people with very sick agendas but which i think we, the one with jim jones is the one that intrigued me the most yeah which that was a good one jim jones is a very odd odd man he was very narcissistic and that's a common trait that a lot of cult leaders have we can do an entire episode about cults if we ever if you ever wanted to do that in another future episode sure the cult occult and the occult we're definitely going to do an episode that kind of defines the two as separate things because again the the occult is about supernatural magical or mystical beliefs and phenomena yeah and that's fine but cults are different. Like, it is taking religion, it is taking something supernatural, and... But it feels, but, like, but it feels using, like cults are more realistic. Cults are more realistic in a sense that you have a person or a small group of people who use things like religion or some sort of belief system to manipulate and control a mass group of people. It's not necessarily a cult, but in the way that this cult would operate, it's different. You know what I mean? Like if like going back to Warren Jeffs, he was a self-proclaimed prophet who believed that he was, you know, talking to God and that God was telling him all of these different things on how he should create the best like religion and it was essentially his belief his belief system was pretty much a spin-off of the Mormon religion combined with a prophesized um, like Christian or Catholic God. It's like it's hard to explain because we don't really know all that much about Warren Jeffs, but if we were to look at the as him as an example, that was what he as a cult leader was doing. He wasn't using occult properties to control his followers but that is essentially the difference between a cult and the occult 
if that helps. Like Alistair Crawley was somebody, he was a figure of the occult. But that's just, again, another example of what the differences are. Does that help? Yes, I knew what it was, but thank you for explaining. You just seem annoyed with me. I... I know, I know I tend to ramble when it comes to stuff about things that I'm, like, passionate about and enthusiastic about, but it's, it's, it's interesting to talk about. Plus, I'm the type of person that when I watch stuff, especially when it's, like, true crime documentaries or podcasts, I need to have an outlet to process what I just took in. Because, like I said, there's a lot of information that goes into true crime cases when it's being narrated by a third party. Because they do a lot of research. They look into all like the background and history of not just the killers, but the victims themselves. And it's a lot to process. So sometimes it's best to kind of have like an outlet or a person that you can talk to to kind of like bounce off ideas and like what you're feeling about all this stuff. Because that's kind of what my sister and I did. Like when she watched the Our Father documentary, she was texting me about like how disgusted she was about the guy who they follow the docuseries around and how his crimes were you know horrendous in their own way and that's again that's something like we have to process all the information that we take in and otherwise it's like it just again it's like a feeling that bottles up too much you know what i mean it's nice to have an outlet that you can process and converse with and i know that you're not somebody who likes to listen to me ramble about true crime but i do like talking to you about this it is it is a fascinating subject for me i know and i don't mean to be annoyed or just kind of like trying to get you to the point but i know know that you love this stuff and everything and i just i'm happy that you do and i support you on loving it but it's just it's not everyone's cup of tea and i know Especially mine. I mean, I do... I, I mean, I because I grew up on a lot of this stuff. So it's just like... I know a lot about it. So it's just like... it. It's like stuff I already knew. So... Yeah. I know. And it's just like... I don't know. It's just like... I don't know. You ever just were spoon-fed stuff or seen stuff growing up so much it kind of feels like... Eh. Yeah. That's what it kind of felt like with me when I see, like, serial killers and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think when I was a little kid, there was a video. My dad would would record uh, Three Stooges uh, shorts because they would always come on Saturday mornings on TBS. And he would always record them on, his, on the VHS and everything, on the VCR. And there's commercials that they would show collections of serial killers on VHS and it's one of those 1-800 commercials like toll free get you know get this collection of like serial killers from the 20th century you know and and there's the one that scared the fuck out of me because there was a random picture of John Wayne Gacy dressed up as a clown oh yeah and I I hated clowns as a child and I saw that it scared the fuck out of me see here's the thing about that that uh, just going a little bit off tangent here when you watch the John Wayne Gacy confession tapes, it kind of debunks a lot of things that had been said about him as a criminal when and ties to all of these cases. Like for one for one thing, the the character Pogo the Clown didn't really play that prominent of a role in his murder sprees. He just he he would dress up as a clown for like charity events and parties and you know, children's hospital events and all this stuff. Very rarely did he ever really apply that into his murders. And really the only thing that tied between him and, like, like that tied Pogo, the clown, to his murders was this little trick that he did with handcuffs. He would use this weird handcuff trick to subdue his victims, and then while they were already bounded, like, with the handcuffs, he would then like begin to strangle them either with like a ligature or in some way shape or form he would strangle them mm-hmm. and it was just it's terrible but like that part of his life the pogo the clown didn't play that big of a role into his killings and the whole thing with like his last words being kiss my ass apparently he never even said that 
on his execution day. According to uh, one of the people that they interview who had a prominent role in his investigation, he showed he arrived the day of his execution, sat and witnessed it. He's like, I never heard him say anything in regards to that. He just took a breath, he closed his eyes, and that was it. He never said anything along the lines of kiss my ass or anything of that matter. There's a, there's a lot of things in, in that documentary that contradict a lot of what people have said about him as a, as a serial killer. What do you think is interesting? So I do recommend those ones. There's a bunch of others that I, rec I would recommend too. Um, one that I didn't mention in this trivia that I do want to recommend. It's on Netflix. It's called Murder Among the Mormons. If you're not familiar with it, I would definitely go check it out. Don't do your research yet. Just go watch it on Netflix. It's a case that I was not familiar with until I saw this documentary. And the way that the people told this story of this case in general blew my mind in the best way possible I think and it's such an it's an odd story it's an intriguing story it is a bit of a sad story because a, a couple people do die in this case but when you find out who did it and why they did it and all that it just it blows your mind it's it's astounding so I recommend Murder Among the Mormons. It's on Netflix. It's not. This is not a sponsored Netflix like episode. I really wish it was because it would be really cool. But go check it out. And there's a lot of other true crime docu-series that are currently up right now that are really interesting that I have mentioned in this episode. And yeah, that I believe that concludes our episode for the week. Yep. Anything else you want to add before we sign off? No, except where can people find our thing? So you can listen to us anywhere you get your podcasts. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I have been saying Apple iTunes for like the longest time now. It's actually Apple Podcasts. But we're on a bunch of different uh, podcasting platforms. You can go check out our website. It's abbynormalpodcast.com. And check us out on Facebook. Follow, or Yeah, check us out on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. And yeah, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Yep. And uh, stay tuned for the next episode that we're going to do. Yep. So other than that, this has been the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin. And I'm Aaliyah. Signing off saying, friends don't lie. <laughs>